everyone and welcome to the query show episode 11 i was sick briefly so i didn't record because i would have been coughing into the microphone the whole time but i am back and today we are looking at two ya fantasy queries get a lot of ya fantasy queries which i think is fantastic so hopefully this episode will be useful to a lot of you and i am excited to report that another author who has been featured on the query show has signed with an agent i'm going to celebrate with them at the end of the episode but until then today's queries Today, our authors are Olivia and Claire. Thank you so much for sending and for being brave and getting your query out there. So let's just dive right in with Olivia's query. Okay, so you guys know the drill. I read the whole query and then I give my notes. Dear agent, Ever since her father's death five years ago, 17-year-old Anna wants nothing more than to become a horse trainer, earn her independence, and move with her little sister Emmy far away from their abusive stepfather, Victor. But Victor has other plans for Anna and her sister. He intends to use his power as a story spinner to see Anna married to the prince, trapping her forever under his control. When Emmy is taken by the story spinners, Anna sets out to save her. But everything Anna knows about her family and the world in which she lives is a lie, and the only way Anna and her sister will ever be safe is by Anna uncovering the truth. The Story Spinners is a young adult fantasy complete at approximately 64,000 words. The story incorporates several fairy tale elements from classic stories and will appeal to fans of Megan Spooner's Hunted. It also incorporates several narrative techniques from the musical Into the Woods and Lewis Sacker's novel Holes. I earned an MFA in writing for children and young adults from school. I've had one educational nonfiction book published and have another forthcoming, but this will be my debut novel. Thank you for your time. Author name. Okay, so let's take it from the top. We begin with introducing ourselves to 17-year-old Anna, her little sister Emmy, and her abusive stepfather Victor. So this is a great opening paragraph. We have a situation in time, five years after her father's death, the protagonist's age, her desires, and a little bit of her motivation. While we don't get an explicit indication that she's acting to protect her little sister, it is telegraphed here. That means the author gives us indications in the language. The combination of little sister and abusive stepfather point to a protective older sister instinct for Anna. However, the one thing that is missing here is setting. Setting is always important, of course, but especially in this case because this is a fantasy. But it could just as easily be a contemporary based on this opening paragraph. There's nothing really fantastical yet. The author also has plenty of space to add another sentence to either situate the setting proper or just the nature of the magical system itself. So I think they should take advantage of it and spell it out a little more. In the second paragraph, we're introduced to the story spinners, of which Victor is one, and the plans to see her married to the prince. The story spinners. This is the second paragraph that brings the fantasy and the intrigue. And as I said above, I think that fantasy and intrigue could come in earlier, i.e. in paragraph one. Finding out that there are such people as story spinners, not to mention a prince, was a bit jarring without that context being established up front. But overall, this is a very solid paragraph. We have my number one favorite, cause and effect language, with when Emmy is taken, and then we have a reversal with but everything Anna knows. 
I also think the only way is an underrated phrase. It narrows down the options for the protagonist, and that raises the stakes. Where this paragraph can improve is just in specifics. How does story spinner power work? Who is the prince? Is he a bad guy? And what is he the prince of? Why does Victor want Anna under his control? And why do the story spinners take Emmy? Is it to get Anna to marry the prince or just because they're generally bad? Now, all this information is key because as we read in the last line, the world in which she lives is a lie. But at this point, the reader doesn't really know much about the world at all. So for that line to have the impact it should, we really need more information, especially when it comes to Anna's driving misbelief. I don't really think I know what she feels about herself or her world beyond caring about Emmy. This is where the author needs to push beyond telegraphing and actually spell some things out, the internal arc. Remember, it is okay for query letters to tell, not show. Queries are meta-writing, the story about the story, if that makes sense. And in this case, telling us more about Anna's internal conflict in tandem with telling us more about the world will go a long way. Now the summary paragraph with the word count and some comp titles, plus some narrative techniques. It's a very solid summary paragraph. I'd say you could 86 the approximately in approximately 64,000 words because it's assumed that the rounded word count isn't exact. And the comp titles are good. I can see this working with Megan Spooner's Hunted, but I'm intrigued about the narrative styles. This might be something for the author to mentor earlier. For example, a line like told in alternating timelines or whatever the case may be. I say this because a musical and a middle grade novel that is Into the Woods and Holes they're not direct comps for a YA novel because you wouldn't be marketing to fans of either of those necessarily. So to include those titles, they just need a bit more justification to seem relevant. Also, I wanna know about the fairy tale elements. It's really intriguing and seems really important to the story. This is probably something the author can incorporate when fleshing out that world building in paragraph two. If this is a story that involves lots of story elements, not a retelling, but I think you know what I mean. That should come up before the summary paragraph. Then the bio paragraph with the MFA and two nonfiction publications. It's lovely. It's short, sweet, professional, and relevant. Everything a bio paragraph should be. Thanks so much, Olivia. I love stories about stories. Now coming at you with YA fantasy query number two is Claire. Thank you, Claire. Dear agent, indentured servant by day and petty thief by night, 17-year-old blood mage Netta uses her powers to steal her way to freedom. Insipid provincial nobles preoccupied with the upcoming tournament to select the prince's consort are the perfect targets, until she's caught with her hands in a courtier's jewelry box. But rather than turning her in, the would-be victim offers her an opportunity. If Netta can infiltrate the tournament and steal a magical relic hidden in the palace called the Dread Mask for them, they'll not only keep her out of prison, but pay off her debt and then some. So with a new wardrobe and a fake name, Netta lies her way into the glittering, deadly imperial court and becomes one of 24 beautiful suitors vying for the prince's favor. But no one in court is what they seem, from unlikely allies within the ranks of the competitors to the charming but sickly heir apparent himself. When Netta's snooping uncovers royal intrigue about the prince's recently dead elder brother and the masked religious cult who worshipped him, she finds herself even more invested in her mission and the tournament than she intended, and further than ever from the dread mask. 
and then suitors start turning up gruesomely murdered. With the body count rising, the relic's power could stop the killer, if Netta forfeits her reward, and risks exposing her secrets to use it. But she'll have to find it first, and she's not the only one with plans for the Dreadmask, or the only suitor with an agenda darker than marriage. A bloody, baroque, bisexual take on the Bachelor-inspired conceit of the Selection series, The Bloodless Place is a standalone YA fantasy with series potential complete at X words. I'm a graphic designer by day and former remote intern for literary agent, agent. Thank you for your consideration. Intrigue. Okay, so jumping back to the beginning, we meet Blood Mage Netta and her thieving ways. It's a very nice opening paragraph. It nails pretty much all of goal, motivation, and conflict. The first sentence alone gives us Netta's roles. She's a servant and a thief. Her magicness, for lack of a better word, she's a blood mage. And her goal, freedom. The second sentence I think could use some tweaks just for readability. It starts with, Insipid provincial nobles preoccupied with the upcoming tournament to select the prince's consort are the perfect targets. It's a long phrase with a lot of information. Maybe make the perfect targets the beginning part of the phrase to keep it clear. Next, there's that M dash, which obviously you can't see, with until she's caught with her hands in a courtier's jewelry box. I love it. The drama of punctuation. My only tiny tweak is maybe condensing. Again, it's verging on wordy. Until she's caught with their jewelry box or something similar would get the meaning across, but with fewer syllables. This might be something you don't even notice until you're reading aloud, but since I read aloud for everything on the podcast, it comes across to me. And I do think that when we get to, but rather than turning her in, we could have a new paragraph. Just visually, it's a pretty long paragraph, so it'd be good to break it up. Again, though, excellent goal and motivation here. Steal the dread mask, avoid prison, and pay her debt. I know exactly where Netta stands at the end of this paragraph. Now, one more tweak. I'd cut the phrase hidden in the palace. It's not really necessary, and it makes it a little confusing because it separates the phrases a magical relic and the dread mask, which are actually the same thing. Now, in the second paragraph, she meets unlikely allies, the prince himself, and learns more about the dread mask. The stakes, they raise. I love it. Netta gains allies, she realizes the prince is charming, maybe more than anticipated, and she uncovers a secret that gets her in deeper, and then the bodies hit the floor. A lot's going on, but in a great way. It's building on itself. So my big suggestions here are just phrasing tweaks, again. The flip side of getting in all the necessary info for world building is having a lot of words to wade through. It's almost the opposite problem we saw in Query 1. Now phrases like, royal intrigue about the prince's recently dead elder brother and the mass religious cult who worshipped him are info-packed, to be sure, but they're also very long. So the author could just cut a few adjectives. Religious is debatably redundant before cult, and although masked is probably relevant to the dread mask, I'm guessing, I don't know if it's 100% necessary at this level of detail. A query's pretty zoomed out. Similarly, I think just the prince's dead brother would work too. Again, in the larger fabric of the story, The fact that the brother was older and died recently will probably figure in, but at this level of magnification, for lack of a better word, it's still plenty intriguing and clear without that much information. Now we get to the last paragraph of the plot summary where Netta has to make a choice. Stop the killer with the relic's power or give up her reward. The protagonist has to make a choice. I love it. She can go through with this original plan or she can stop the murders. This is a great example of a high stakes, no right answer dilemma for the protagonist to face in the final paragraph. It's really well done. 
But again, some tweaks. The first sentence could be even clearer with some reordering. I'd make Netta the subject here, rather than the relic's power. So something like, with the body count rising, Netta could use the relic to stop the killer, but only if she forfeits her reward to use it. But, you know, finesse to sound a little better. Now, in the little meta paragraph, we learn that this is a bloody Baroque bisexual take on the Bachelor-inspired conceit of the Selection series. I love that trifecta of adjectives. Bloody, Baroque, and bisexual, that's the kind of phrasing that could appear in a trade review of this book. They're not qualitative adjectives, I guess. I mean, they don't offer a judgment on how good the book is, which you don't want to do in your own query, but they do evoke what the experience of reading the book will be like. Then we have a good comp title, the Selection series, which admittedly isn't particularly recent, but it still feels appropriate here because the Bloodless Place is similar but with a twist. And the bio is excellent. It's the author's job and a bit of their publishing experience. Perfect. No need to go further. It's got everything it needs. Thanks so much, Claire. have it, episode 11, chock full of YA fantasy. Thanks again to Olivia and Claire, and thank you for everyone who's sent in their queries so far. I have a ton to get through, and I really appreciate it. Two genres I'm always looking for more of are romance slash women's fiction slash chiclet and memoir. I like to do these paired up by genre so that we can see some common themes, but I have a couple stragglers that just need a friend to create an episode for. So if you write those, or if you know someone who does, just head on over to thequeryshow.com and click on submit a query for the show. And there's a form right there where you can fill it out and upload it and I can put it in the queue. Also at thequeryshow.com, you can find all the copies of the queries we discussed today, plus all the ones on the older episodes, plus all the older episodes themselves. Plus, like, I don't know, the logo and stuff. Like, it's just nice to look at. And, of course, you can come join us on the Patreon and hang out where we also have those copies of the queries to look at, plus bonus episodes. I'm about to upload one with Agent Emily S. Keys from Fuse Literary, which is absolutely wonderful. She was a delight to talk to. And I've got several others in the can, which is, I think, a recording term. Uh, my friend, middle grade author Amy Lucido, we're going to read her very first query letter that, spoiler, did not get her an agent. And then with Jessica Sinsheimer, the genius behind the Manuscript Wishlist and the Manuscript Academy, who is absolutely wonderful to talk to, especially if you're interested in pitching your book over the internet. And as I promised, another author has signed with an agent. I would like to say congratulations to Debbie. I, of course, take no credit for the brilliance of the authors signing with agents because it is their queries that got it done. But I am really excited when people have success because that's the whole point of the show. Can I also just say that, like, you authors are amazing because this is only the 11th episode and so far two of the authors whose queries have been on the show have been working so hard that they've already signed with agents, which is pretty amazing. So if you've signed with an agent recently and you were on the query show or you listened to the query show or you, like, kind of know me through the internet, just let me know because I'll give you a shout out here. So until next week, I hope you enjoy your querying and write well. Take care. Take care.